This is the Everybody's Talking at Once podcast for July 7th, 2020. Welcome to the Everybody's Talking at Once podcast. My name is Drew Messenger Michaels, and I'm very glad you're here. Today, Bobby Fowler and Brendan Nazier are back. They are the Almost a Game crew. If you remember episode 41, Something Wicked This Way Apples, you'll remember them talking about their card game, Wicked Apples. Uh, we talk a bit about that in this one, but we're mostly here to talk about their new co-op game, Space Chase. Um, I played the game with them, uh, as we talk about, sort of. <laughs> that's how you find out about indie tabletop games, right? You play them with the people who made them. That's interesting, and that's hard in a quarantine. Uh, anyway, I did that with them at PAX East. We talk a bit about that. We talk a bit about the strangeness of making tabletop stuff at this particular moment. We talk about the appeals of co-op. Uh, we also, as was the case last time with Space Chase, talk a bit this time about their new game. They're just starting to work on something nascent that there isn't much to say about yet, but uh, it's kind of cool to get both the beginning and the end of a development cycle on the record, so I imagine they'll be back at some point, but for now, enjoy this. supersonic skies they flew along the milky way and round the planet mars well it looked like fun to be a flying there among the stars space command space command flying through the atmosphere the junior space command space command where will they land i'm gonna send a box top in and join the space command Okay, well, fine then. I mean, I mean yeah. the, two of you, the two of you don't do a whole lot of this kind of stuff, um, unless it's very buried on Google, because I was trying to, like, you know, make sure I'm not asking you questions you've answered a million times, but, you, you know, you just haven't, you haven't done too many podcasts specifically about uh, Space Chase. We have not, no. So, I'm yeah, glad you're I, here. I feel like Space Chase kind of hit at a, a weird time. Yeah, that's probably worth talking about. So, Bobby, Brenda, thank you a ton for coming back. It has been, I mean, it's it has in fact been a couple of years since we talked, but it feels like it's been centuries, like in the amount of stuff that's happened in the world. Even just since I saw you at PAX East, it feels like it's been centuries or, or decades at least. Oh, yeah, so, definitely. Yeah, we'll talk about all that. But first of all, thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks so much. Has it really? I was like, PAX East... Because like, I feel like we just saw you, but you're right. It does feel like a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it, it wasn't that long ago in like raw earth time. <laughs> but in terms of like the way the world has been changing rapidly, it's it's like it's crazy. Because that was that was March, mid-March, late March, something like that. No, uh, late. De- it was um, late February. Late February. You're right. Yeah, it was. Bef- yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah, okay. it was actually crazy because I had to go to the doctors in March and they're like, did you leave the state in the past 14 days? I'm like, when did PAX end? <laughs> And I was like, the end of February. Okay, I'm clear. Please see You're me. good. That's the thing, right? Like that, Um, I, I've, I've spoken to a few other guests about this, that like, if PAX East had been scheduled for a week or two later, it probably wouldn't have happened. Or at least there's a decent chance it wouldn't have. Or some people, more, you know, more people wouldn't have wanted to show up. It hit in this really strange time this year where everyone was aware that the world was changing or on the cusp of changing, but we were more or less able to do business as usual, just with like washing our hands more. It was a weird time. And I imagine it was super surreal to be doing tabletop right then. You know, like oh, yeah. when I bought my copy of Space Chase, they, like the the person I bought it from, like made a show of saying, like, I'll wipe it down for you before you take it away. Like it was like there were just all these extra bits of friction uh, that I'm sure you felt ten times more. Yeah, uh, definitely. It was it was a weird show to go to. It was a weird show to set up at. Even like it just it felt a little more empty than normal. But but at the same time, it was still packed, so it was still jammed i don't know it was different i guess it was very very strange yeah it was very strange and we were lucky because we were essentially kind of subleasing space so we weren't there the whole time either um which made it really nice too especially because it was that kind of cusp time 
that we didn't have to feel trapped in a convention center for 12 hours at a time. No, exactly. There were still, there were restaurants open to go out to, right? Like that's the thing, even if you did do an ill-advised convention right now, that wouldn't be true, right? Like there wouldn't be anywhere to go except to just like walk around the block. I suppose places are now reopening. We're like on the other end of that. Like like we you, we all failed to talk for most of the really hardcore quarantine times. We're now in a new phase of strange where people are figuring out what's safe and to what degree we can go back to normal. But you know, like E3 is not happening and, and all that. The world is still quite different. Hmm. Yeah. And Bobby and I were just talking to you about, you know, we're waiting. You know, we love going to PAX Unplugged in Philly, which generally happens late November, early December. And we're just waiting as it gets closer for the call that, you know, that's, we're guessing, going to be canceled. Um, yeah. But. It being unplugged makes it harder. But but then November, December, it's hard to know what the world looks like by then. And it's that's the crazy thing about the U.S. is different states probably look vastly different by then than each other. You know, so like the, what, the, the situation in Massachusetts and the situation in Pennsylvania could be very different. <laughs> so that's that's the crazy making thing about this time. Right. It's so hard to plan ahead in any meaningful way. You can't know what's around the corner. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. So we can talk about like the business of making tabletop games in a time of quarantine, because I got to say tabletop games in my household have been a wonderful thing during quarantine, Space Chase included. Uh, But, you know, it's I'm sure it's a really hard time to, you know, introduce them to people. There's a lot of ways people encounter them at local game shops and whatever that are just out of the picture right now. So we can talk about all that. But I do want to make sure we also talk about the game. So just to get started, what for anybody who hasn't heard of it is Space Chase? All right, Bobby, have you been preparing for this answer? Bring it on, man. No. C- completely lost all the videos of all the pre-recorded answers. So here we go. <laughs> um, give it, give it, give it to me. Give it, give me the raw version. Give me the like the, the Steve, <laughs> Steve Albini. You know, like yeah, go for it. So Space Chase is a, uh, a cooperative one to six player uh, tile laying game, um, where you are trying to stay ahead of the hunter and also find the end tile. Uh, that will help you escape uh, and win the game. Um, and it's very much spatial management as well as uh, hand management. And also each person has a crew member with their own unique special abilities that kind of play off of each other that you have to think about as you're deciding which tiles to play. We talked about it when you were sort of, you had yet to reveal it, you know, we, we, when we spoke about Wicked Apples a few years ago. Yep. And the emphasis then was sort of that it's that it's co-op. The part yep. that took me by surprise a little bit when I got to actually play it is, is to what degree it is asymmetrical co-op, how much those specializations matter, you know, like it, it really does ask you to get into the role in the same way as something like a, is it Artemis, the game where it's a bunch of people like manning a star deck, a, a, you know, digital game, but like where everyone has their very, very assigned specific tasks. This yep. feels a bit like that, but of course with a shared goal and that, that wonderful kind of tactile thing you can only do in tabletop where you really are like building the map together. Yep. Yeah, it's very much like that. And um, and I think in the early iterations, we actually didn't have, like there weren't uh, unique crew members and it was just, at first it was just a, you're building this, you're building this map together. I mean, that's always been part of it. Um, yeah, but, yeah. but as it went on, like it started, I, after you've played, you know, 20, 20 test games of the same tiles, you start to realize like, yes, it, the, the variety of tiles that are coming out, each game is unique, but but it needs that little something extra, and finding the uh, the asymmetrical crew abilities really like pump that up because you know you can play several different games, and even if you're the same crew member, if somebody else is a different crew member, the way that you interact with them is so very different. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the things with Wicked Apples that I really like was always that the expectations people bring to the game can really alter the state of play. I think I think, you know, you were you were saying when someone who's brand new to it or a little kid or something jumps in, it can completely throw off someone who knows what what an experienced player would or should do in that situation, but that a newbie won't do at all. And it introduces this new level. I feel like there's a similar thing going on with Space Chase where someone who's played 20 games has a very different sense of what the roles are than someone who's played one game game so slipping into a role or even if you've played 20 games in a role and then you move to a different one there's a whole lot of possibilities in terms of like reading in this case not your opponents reading your your co-op partners but reading the other players and like and and what they're gonna do of a moment affects what's possible for you like it's it's true true multiplayer not just a game that multiple people play but a game that people play together in that sense yeah yeah definitely and i think i think it really um 
watching other people play it at conventions or whatever, you see certain people that they see ways to use roles that that other people don't, and it's I wouldn't even call it advanced play. It's just like different styles of play. There's certain people that um, uh, what's the uh, the miner that moves around asteroids. There are certain people that will use that, and they will shuffle people's you know uh, hands around every turn. And then there are other people that will maybe use it like just once the entire game, just to like get a little bit of a a boost when they're playing. And seeing that makes me feel like the even though the the characters don't have a ton of abilities, they have enough that you can find your own unique play style in each character. Yeah, your games are very expressive in that way, if I may say so, right? Like they really let you sort of find your lane within a system mm-hmm. and and tremendously alter the 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 mode of play. Like I've I've not really had a game of space not not really had two games of space chase that went precisely the same way. That's great to hear. That that's exactly <laughs> how he designed it. Working as intended. <laughs> yeah, totally. Sick. Working as designed. Working as designed is always a good thing. I mean, so like the thing that jumps out for somebody who played Wicked Apples a bunch as I did is obviously the most obvious thing, which we've referred to but not dug into, is that it's a co-op game, right? Uh, Wicked Apples is not just a PvP game, but a, a screw-your-neighbor game, right? Like a, a game, is it Alec Mir who says that you can always judge a tabletop game by how often you say, oh, you bastard, right? Like that's <laughs> that's how you know it's a good one. Uh, Space Chase is obviously like it's people banding together against a, a non-player bastard and, a, a, and, you know, an NPB, if you will, um, to to outsmart, you know, the hunter and, 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 and get out of there. It's a very, very different flow. I think it has that same sense of like collaborative, like storytelling is the wrong word, but like collaborative situation building. I don't know what you would call it. It's got that same feeling that you really are like getting into each other's heads. But why was it that you wanted to shift to co-op? You know, what about that was interesting to you? Is that something that you felt was underexplored in the kind of table, you know, indie tabletop lane you're working in? Is it something that was inspired by other co-op games? You know, why that shift? Um, I, it's definitely not unexplored, and I, I don't think that uh, it, it's it's definitely it's seen a boom in the past. I don't know. It's been like six or eight years. Like there was a time when tabletop game was not co-op and and people have realized Hmm. that when you're playing together like solving a puzzle cooperatively but being in the same space is just a lot of fun and so we've seen a boom over that in the past you know five or six years but um for me this was actually the first game that i started making when i was starting to design games um so i think that was like seven years ago now um so long before wicked apples came out and um and after Wicked Apples came out, you know, making like designing prototypes between that, um, Space Chase was one I just always kept coming back to because it just it had like a good feel to it, but it wasn't done, and it was it was always just kind of pushing it a little bit further and seeing is this is this the final formula or do we need to come back to it a little bit more? Um, but we were looking at like okay, so we've done Wicked Apples. What's our second game going to be? The idea of Something that's a little more, uh, a little longer than Wicked Apples has a little more strategy than like Wicked Apples, and or a little more depth, I guess maybe. Um, but also one that differentiates itself by Wicked Apples being a you know stab your neighbor, and this one being co-op, so that we can have you know uh, different flavors to offer um, people that come to our booth and, and want to try out games. Um, it just kind of fit yeah, with Yeah, and I think it's important to note because, you know, we're talking a little bit about process. Um, Wicked Apples wasn't supposed to be our second game. Um, there was another game that we were working on, which we've shelved for the moment because there were just issues um, that we weren't quite sure how to best resolve. Um, so, mm. you know, Bobby and I kind of talked about it and said, well, we really need to come out with another game. Um, what are we going to do? Should we try something else that's in the, in the backlog? Should we, you know, shelve this game? What should we do? And, you know, Bobby mentioned that Space Chase has kind of always been there on his mind. The art, even from the beginning, was really beautiful. And so it was a, a good time to be able to come back and revisit it and, and work on that being the second game. Yeah. Are you happy with the title? I know you weren't <laughs> the last time we talked. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah. Uh, I think we talked about changing the name of it for the past two or three years, but it always came down to uh, that 
it's not it's not my favorite title but it's easy to remember it rhymes and it very much says what the game is yeah it tells you what you're working with <laughs> yeah yeah and at a certain point you just have to accept it this is this is the game we're making. It is It is Space Chase. Yeah, but my favorite part that I tried to get Bobby to double down on is if you uh, look at the box <laughs> and the way that he's designed the logo, um, it looks like the A's line up. And so I was like, look, Bobby, it's a triple A game. <laughs> Bobby was, uh, a space Bobby was chase not impressed with me. Is what, what you wanted. <laughs> yes, a, spa- a space chase, like a, sh- like a short hike or like a, yeah. Um, <laughs> that would have been good too. Yeah, I know to end... It, it, it definitely has the same design sensibility as your previous work while also exploring new realms, right? Like, not just because it's co-op, but because it does sort of feel like a next step in the sense that Wicked Apples is a, a deck of cards, you know, a somewhat expandable deck of cards, whereas this is a more luxe package. There are, you know, there's a there's a, a, a bag that's luxurious that's very important to play, and there are pieces, and there's like, it, it just feels a little bit more like like a whole system in a box, if that makes sense. It feels like a logical next step for someone who is designing, you know, more intensive tabletop games. Yeah, it was definitely a, a step up in terms of, like, looking at production to, like, uh, trying to find the a place that will do tiles, that will do tiles that are a good enough thickness to be mashed around a bag, you know, several, you know, hundred times, um, that will do double-sided tiles, and then uh, finding good a good way to show the tokens of the people of the the two players moving um but not have it not have it be these giant miniatures that that would kind of take up space that didn't need to be taken up sure yeah yeah take up visual information that isn't really necessary and also like take up physical space for something that's already a lot bigger than the last thing you shipped yep yeah i mean and we're also very we're conscious of like um wanting to make the games uh affordable and also size in a way that they're transportable Um, because a lot of games are going like a board game especially are going very big box and like you know giant miniatures and all that and and well i think that's really cool looking i i think that's not quite what we are uh, as a company like i i think we're more um we're more about we want people to we want to be more about the people playing the game than than having like these these giant things that are just kind of taking up space i guess yeah sure it's that sid meyer (laughs) thing of like is the computer having fun or are you right like are the are the are the miniatures playing the game or are the players playing the game yeah so 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 brenda from a from a pr marketing maven point of view Right. Is this maybe the sweet spot for what an almost a game game is? I mean, obviously, you leave yourself room to make something bigger, smaller, whatever. But Bobby says, like, this is sort of who you are in terms of the level of, of, of luxury and, and whatever. Is this, you know, did this come out to be sort of the scale of thing you want to be making right now? Did it, did, it, did it seem like this was what the people who like what you do but wanted something new were hungry for? Uh, I, don't th- I don't think it has to do so much with the size or the components that are in it. I think Bobby and I talk about this all the time, and I think that's one great thing about being best friends is we just keep talking about it. (laughs) Um, And so it's not so much about size or game type. It's really more of like who we see we are as a company and the games that we're trying to make. Um, You know, we really like this idea that non-gamers, casual gamers, people who like playing games play our games and play them together. You know, we all have those people in our groups and our families, especially here during this this time in our lives. Um, So that's really more of what we're looking for is something that's fairly easy to learn. People enjoy playing it. It doesn't matter what your skill level is, replayability. Um, like quality of components, like Bobby and, and I are very particular, Bobby more so, <laughs> but we're very particular. <laughs> we're very particular. That, sound, that sounded like, that sounded like a comment with a story or sex behind it, but yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's kind of, I think more where we fall as a company, you know, space chase is beautiful. Um, but you know, it's a fairly expensive game to make as an indie company. Um, it's, you know, it has its challenges, but I'm glad that it's something that we have, um, in our library that we've created. Um, possibly going forward, you may see different sizing from us as we kind of play around and and offer, um, different options. 
because some people, especially at conventions, love the fact that Wicked Apples is a deck of cards that can slip easily into their bag and their carry-on luggage, um, you know, totally. versus something like Space Chase, which is, you know, beautiful. And Bobby may not want me saying this, but we hand-packed Space Chase. So all copies of those were hand-packed by Bobby and myself because we wanted a specific quality. <laughs> um that's extremely legit, and I don't know why that would why you'd want that to be a secret. But I... yeah, that was that was a fun time. We set up a little production line, and we put them together ourselves because we ordered from a couple different companies because we uh, we wanted to have a specific quality. And back to the tokens, Bobby actually hand glued the icons on all of the Space Chase tokens. So those are custom pieces by the game designer. If you own a copy of Space Chase, that's incredibly cool. I mean, and yeah, and I, I suppose like that that loving quality comes through, right? Like it's clear that every piece is thoughtful. I didn't mean to imply that this was like a what price point do our customers want market no, testing no, no. kind of thing. Like obviously there's there's way more to it than that, and that isn't even really what you're thinking of. The goal is still to make the game you're trying to make at the at the quality you want to make it at the lowest cost possible for people. You're not trying to drive up the price or anything. I suppose the reason that I was asking it the way I was asking it, which was a stupid way to ask it in retrospect, so that's on me, was I was just, I was thinking the last time we spoke, we spoke so much about the advantages of tabletop games and, and tactility, right? Like even just like the way the cards feel in Wicked Apples, like I know you put a lot of thought into, because there are so many more pieces to Space Chase, I guess just I was wondering if not just from a from a game design or an interaction perspective, but from a tactility perspective, there were certain things you wanted to think about. You know, I think the, the last time we spoke, you said something about like the the actual feeling of pushing the tiles together to build the map together, right? Mm. Were there a lot of other things like that? Was that core to what seemed interesting about this idea to you as you developed it? Um, yeah, and I think I can actually have kind of a story for that too. Um, so when I was originally making Space Chase, uh, because I didn't, really know what I was doing with it yet and I was just starting out and designing stuff um, the original Space Chase was a deck of cards and they were like normal poker size cards and so the way that you would build out the map is you would put down a card and then when you went to put a card next to it you'd slide like like three three eighths of the card underneath the other cards so that it would be the remaining piece of the card would be a square and so you go around kind of like sliding cards under cards to make to make the square tiles that we have now. Oh, and, I see. Huh. and if you wanted to like move that around or every time you put one underneath, everything would kind of like shift and nothing lined up. And um, and so I showed it to um, uh, this is when we were still working together. I showed it to Brenda one day at lunch and she's like, why are they why are they cards? Why don't you just make them squares? And I was like, that's crazy. And then I went and did it that <laughs> night, and it was like the best idea ever. Because why, why would you make them not squares? Um, I like don't remember the story and, at all. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, no, it, it, you were you were instrumental in the squares. You um, saved the damn game, yeah, yeah, obviously. really. Um, and then from that point, like, going on to the tactile part, they were still squares. They were cards, but they were still, or they were squares, but they were still cards. So you had a deck of cards, and I think it might have been Brenda also who said that they should be tiles um <laughs> it's like but then you wouldn't be able to like you'd have this giant stack of tiles like you can't shuffle tiles that doesn't make any sense and that's when i like led to the bag idea of having them in a bag and doing it that way um i'm and i, I may I have think, also said we had too many think, tiles too because some of the cards oh I'm well, sure some, of the, <laughs> some of the cards we have now were tiles and are no longer tiles mm. yeah but there is a there is a good balance there. Yeah, you feel like you have a preponderance of tiles at least at the beginning, yeah. uh, not at the end when there's that tense thing of like, is this going to be the thing that that makes us win or makes us lose, right? But at the beginning you have a lot, but it doesn't feel burdensome. It's not like you have a giant like you know Santa sack of tiles at the beginning of the game or something. Yep. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a, that tactile feel of like reaching into the bag was was something that was not there in the original and and like we said before is like a really big part of like what board gaming is and i i feel like that is really kind of the heart of space chase of reaching into that bag pulling out those tiles and hoping that it's the the one that you need um and so it, brenda definitely brought oh, that in thanks i appreciate i have no no memory of this but i know how <laughs> dedicated you are to the bags because i remember we had multiple conversations about why we needed so many bags <laughs> oh gosh i have so <laughs> many bags at my house like 
I was buying big bags and small bags and square bags and round bags. <laughs> I'm like, bags. we cannot afford a $10 bag in this game. <laughs> but the bag is so key. The bag is like the most tactile part of the game in a sense. Because you're like, you're fishing around in there and the bag represents a mystery and, and the illusion of agency, right? Like, I think we talked about this last time too, that mm. when you... When you touch a physical piece, you feel more responsible for the outcome, even if it's completely random, than if you just, you know, rolled a virtual die or, you know, or, or, or you know, entered a command in a computer RPG or something, right? Like, you feel like you own the choice, even if it's not a choice per se. Yeah, and and I feel like people really own that, too, because, like, there's sometimes where you have to put, like, uh, tiles back in the bag or whatever. And almost always, if somebody puts a tile back in the bag and they know they have to draw again, they will take free of their own volition like just and scoop around the tiles and mix them all up to make sure that they are not they're not just putting the tiles in and getting back the one they want they want it to be it's random but they're going to still make that choice Mm, completely owning it owning it and that that ties in with the idea of a cooperative adventure right where you're getting out of this perilous situation together by the skin of your teeth and by strength of your wits and all that all that good stuff it's it it all feels very good it's well themed let me ask this. So I'm trying to get the timeline straight. You're totally, you were perfectly right to say that co-op is no longer underrepresented in tabletop, but that it was. Um, so if you're saying you started thinking about this game, you said like seven years ago, you know, pre-Wicked Apples, pre-everything, pre for, you know, the very beginning of your sort of design career, as it were. Um, what, was that part of the motivation then? Like you started designing this in a very different world than you released it into. So like what, influences if any did you have in your head when you started and then like did those sort of change influences other than brenda having brilliant ideas about squares i mean but like influences (laughs) from other games and such like you know what how did that begin and then like did it change over the relatively long time that this game was percolating for you um so when i was starting to design i I had a few games that were kind of like my the games that i was playing in the games that i really liked um and one of them was called castle panic and a lot Mm. of the uh, hand management because you you um you do pull monsters out of a bag in that uh, monster tiles, um, but not that you play. You have a, a like a hand of cards that you play, but it's it's cooperative. Each person has their own deck of cards or hand of cards that they're playing, um, and you're working together and and you can you kind of like draw at the beginning of your hand or at the beginning of your turn, you can trade cards with other people. Like, and all of that was very central to what space chase was to begin with. Um, and then after that, it just kind of evolved of like in the, the final iteration of the game, like you don't see a lot of, you're not trading between players. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that came about just because not a lot of people were doing it. And it also made it so you had to kind of like, you had to think about what the next player was going to do more than being able to just kind of trade tiles and make it work. Um, sure. And that, that kind of, um, that, that mental poker is maybe better suited to something like Wicked Apples. You had just made a game in between very much about reading your opponent and predicting what they're going to do and trading cards and all those sorts of things. Yep. And, and then also, uh, I think one of the, the big things, and <laughs> not for a good reason, but uh, as somebody starting out designing games, and not really knowing what I was doing, just kind of doing it for fun by myself. Uh, making a co-op game means that you can play it by yourself. <laughs> you can test sure. it without anyone else. Like Wicked Apples is a very tough game to test by yourself because you need to like really compartmentalize which which person's hand is where, and do you know that, or do you not know that? It's like uh, playing chess by yourself or something, right? Exactly. Like you can do it, but are you, are you testing the interesting parts? Maybe not. Right, and um, so... With starting out with a co-op game, it was just very easy to kind of test and try out ideas on my own and all that. It, it it was a way to get into designing games without having to, without needing like a a design group at the time. Um, although this went to a design group, like I had a found several design groups and brought this game for testing a lot. So it it evolved a lot through what their their input to. Sure. When did the two of you start collaborating? I know you're I know you're your best friends, right? So you've known each other forever, but but have you been working on games together forever or or working on getting games out there together forever or did that did that come about at some point during I guess effectively during the development or the or the conception of this game? Um Brenda, you want to take this one? Um are you asking if I remember? <laughs> you have been suspiciously <laughs> quiet, Brenda, I must say. I must well- say. 
<laughs> I know it's true. I guess I guess it's true. Thanks. Thanks for noticing, Drew. I appreciate it. No, no, that's that's me fucking up as a host. I just mean like we we've been. I want I want you to say more stuff because you have good stuff. No, to say it's just funny because Bobby's like I don't remember anything about Space Chase, and here he is, just like sounding super intelligent and remembering all these details that I haven't heard in ages or at all. So you know, I'm having a good time listening. Future future Space Chaseologists will be very happy to hear some of these these uh, these stories. That this we're is going to be yeah. the most popular podcast. Just so you know, like 50 years from now, when they're coming back and archiving. Uh, <laughs> I think history history will vindicate this episode. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Um, oh, now I forgot what I was going to say. I was going to say, did I? I'm trying to remember when you took Space Chase to Boston Fig. Did I? Did I help demo? I can't. Re- I can't remember. Um, no, not for Space okay. Chase. So I think it was. Yeah. The, so the first year I went to the Boston Fig, it was. Um, it was Space Chase, and I. I think i went by myself um there's no the way you went by was... yourself bobby think back to what you were <laughs> like and your convention persona back in the day there's no way that you went to a convention to show your own game by yourself that is just crazy talk so i'm gonna need i'm gonna need a little bit of explanation of basically every part <laughs> of that sentence why 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 is that the case what was your previous convention persona how was your convention persona changed this is this is interesting to me because i've seen you at conventions but in 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 the modern bobby era right not back in the day okay so uh, what were you like before the apotheosis I, I almost feel like this is like where i like like somebody needs to mute themselves and then you compare and contrast no just teasing <laughs> Um, so Bobby, in case you're not aware, is actually like a very quiet, kind of shy, reserved person. Um, but if you're online, he has like super sharp wit. If you are like in a chat with him, like he creates puns super fast, really dry wit and humor. Like it's really, it's really a challenge sometimes to kind of balance the two. <laughs> like, whoa, what happened? So back in the day, though, when you were going to conventions, you were very quiet and very shy and very kind of to yourself. Um, You've definitely blossomed more. um, And I've taken pictures to send to your girlfriend over the years to prove that. (laughs) Um, But, you know, you, you definitely like it's really cool to watch, like how much more comfortable you are at a demo table and talking about your games and having fans come up and like ask you if there's new stuff or really excited to try what's new but that is not how it started <laughs> sure like i do slightly i mean I'm, I'm sorry if i'm psychoanalyzing a real friendship to the participants in that friendship that's unseemly but like i've seen the dynamic you're talking about where you brenda are not just bringing the games forth to the public but slightly like bringing bobby forth to the public like egging him on to to be you know dry and funny at conventions, which, you know, my impression of you, Bobby, was that that you were dry and funny, that you were someone who was quiet until you had something funny to say. And then when you opened your mouth, it was always entertaining. Right. But I get the sense that that, that Brenda, you feel you feel like over the years, you've been a booster, not just of the games, but of Bobby's persona. Uh, maybe. Maybe I drag him on adventures. Maybe. Maybe. I'm into maybe it. I'm an maybe I'm an extrovert shield. It's possible. I mean, just saying. Sure. Speed, speed, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I gotcha. I gotcha. That's that's legitimate, though. That's a good dynamic to have, I think. Um, now Bobby's really quiet, so I fucked up all over again in a different direction. <laughs> oh, no. Should I unmute myself? <laughs> See, that was, that, was, that was it. That was it. That was the good dry shit right there. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. Brenda's definitely been like good at like pushing me out of my comfort zone at conventions, and I've, I've changed with how i like how i am at conventions over the last you know five or six years yeah yeah i feel like it's important i yeah oh sorry there there was a butt there please oh (laughs) but i did go to that convention myself are you sure i'm looking at our twitter feed right now are you sure (laughs) um oh so yeah so so the whole point of that was yeah i went to that first one myself um but the next one was the one we brought Wicked Apples to, and um, and I brought uh, Brenda and my friend Kevin there to demo with me. Um, and so I think that's really when it started, um, because Wicked Apples was was popular at that convention and and sold well, and and we thought, you know, it, it can't just be me anymore. 
because that's sure. not going to work. <laughs> this is an underappreciated aspect of collaboration, though. I think a lot of people start small game studios of one kind or another, and they say, well, you know, one person has design acumen and one person has, you know, marketing acumen or whatever, but they don't necessarily think about, well, who's the introvert and who's the extrovert or something, right? That can actually be really important for anybody, but especially for a situation like yours, where maybe the main way a lot of enthusiasts are going to find out about the games is by encountering one or both of you at a convention and playing the game with you. Like the games already have so much personality in them, but it, it occurs to me there's this extra layer with tabletop uh, where, you know, especially for, for smaller projects that people may not hear about across the wireless or come through on their big news site or whatever, their first impression of the game is often playing it with someone involved in its its creation, which is unusual and and kind of intimate and kind of amazing. And I think you see that all across um, all across board games, uh, the board game industry. Like when people come to conventions, a lot of times, like the people that you're playing with, because there's a lot of like kind of indie devs or, or smaller devs there. A lot of times, the people that are demoing it to you or that you're talking to at the booths, like somebody there is is the designer or is the artist or there's people, the people that are making the games are usually there. Uh, uh, where I feel like sometimes, like with uh, with like the video game industry, which is is more mature and larger, like you may not always get to to meet the designer or or have a, even like conversation with them. But uh, with tabletop, it's still very very intimate right now. There's that aspect, and there's also like you know even at even 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 at PAX East, where I would you know some of the games were by very very small indie teams, the digital games as well, hmm. but. That would usually look like them looking over your shoulder while you played, as opposed to playing them with you, which is totally what happens in tabletop. It's just it's a it's a different mode of interaction. And it means that the way you not just present the game, but play it is like part of someone's core impression. Yeah. I guess that's why I bring up the 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 uh, the uh, I mean, you're saying your your persona sprung fully forth from the head of Zeus from the beginning. It didn't have to be worked on. Fair enough. But but that is part of the if not if not part of the product, then certainly like part of the marketing, part of the part of the 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 mavenry, the PR attitude, the you know like how the game gets out in the world is sort of inextricably tied up with the way you present it and present yourself in a way that that I that I find interesting. And if this is getting weird, I can cut all this shit out because I don't mean to make you uncomfortable. <laughs> I just find it interesting. And when like when the way that I found out about these games in both cases was to play them with you, it was something I sort of couldn't help but but think about. And we think about it too. It's actually like Bobby was saying, at least for the smaller indies, because you know, board game does have some bigger publishers um, who may not you may not be demoing games with the designers but at least for indie tabletop you know a lot of times you are playing with the designer or somebody involved in the creation which is really awesome um but one of the really cool things is that because that's the way it works for indies like we just get to have a good time um like we we love demoing next to each other it's something that we've been you know doing even when we just had one game because we both play differently and but we also have a good time harassing each other and harassing each other's tables. <laughs> <laughs> this was something else we talked about last time. Yeah, that I, I think I learned Wicked Apples on the Brenda rules. There were a yeah, few cards yeah. that had, uh, yeah, yeah, like if, if not house rules precisely, but it was it was like a modded version that I have then carried forward into my uh, my you know my own play yes. with other people. But yeah, no, your your tables do have different vibes. I, I can vouch for that. Uh, both good vibes, but very different from one another. Yeah, and it's interesting you were saying like that the the games are kind of sold on us like our personalities like and actually playing with us too and and playing wicked apples with me versus playing wicked apples with brenda like i think it's it's a good experience either way but it's also a different experience um we each have our own like our own like flow to how we explain the rules and and our own like i want to say like phrases that we use for certain cards or things that we explain in a certain way and and i think it you do get a different experience, like just demoing of a different person. I think your example last time was when, when uh, so Wicked Apples, for anybody who didn't listen to the previous episode and or hasn't played it, is a game where where everyone loses a fair bit, right? It's possible for everyone to just get a Wicked Apple and, and go down. So if, we're, if you're at a Bobby table, you'll hear that described as, oh, everybody wins, or we played to a draw. <laughs> if you were at a Brenda <laughs> table, she will she will lower her eyes a bit and get intense and say, you are all dead, Ma right? Maybe. Like it's... Maybe I will. There's a lot of death that happens at my table. It's true. It's true. <laughs> and it's great. It's great. But it gives you such a like 
the world building of just how macabre the game is because the game is macabre but it's also playful how much is it playful and how much is it macabre like your first impression of that is is going to come down in part to whether you're at a bobby table or a brenda table and, and both of those flavors are very much part of the game neither is a mistaken impression but i'm, I'm sure different you know different flavors resonate differently with different people and that can be that can be a you know a whole extra layer well, I think it's fun to, you know, even just thinking about that and thinking about, you know, people feeling welcoming coming to your table and having, you totally. know, different ways to approach them. Like even Space Chase, back to Space Chase, um, we demo Space Chase differently um, just because we're different people. It's the same It's the same game, but we demo it a little bit differently. You know, Bobby's still, I think it's still early enough that Bobby's still kind of, you know, making sure everything works the way he's envisioning it. Um, and I'm kind of analyzing, maybe psychoanalyzing a little bit my table to see how it's going and and, uh, and get a feel for how they're working together as a team. Um, but it also... Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. yeah, but it also just speaks to, you know, what are the ways that we demo um, that make it friendly or approachable for people, right? Just if you can think about that and tweak that and have fun with it, then... It just means that more people feel comfortable sitting down and playing with you or playing with a group of strangers, which is always interesting at a convention. <laughs> it's like, I, I don't know these other people at my table. Are we going to have a good time? Well, let's find out. Nor, nor do they know each other usually. So that's, there's all these social dynamics you don't have that much control over that can, that can greatly change how the game goes. Yeah, exactly. So it's a, lot of, it's a lot of fun to see that too. So I wish more people paid more attention to, their, to how they demo. Um, because I think it, you're right. I think it does give you um, a lot of insight into the game and how it's made and what you can do with it. Yeah, yeah. Because because this stuff's all personality driven. And I, th I think, Bobby, your, your point is really interesting that the tabletop market or the indie tabletop market is just in a different place than, than digital indie games. So there's a little bit more of an expectation that you'll have a one-to-one -one relationship at some point in the process or, or, you know, order the game directly from the person who made it uh, or have, the, you know, have all the boxes hand-packed or something like that, right? Like, there, I have no expectation that if I buy a limited run games copy of Celeste, anyone involved in making Celeste put the, the game cart, cart in the box, right? Like, that's just not a thing. Where you know it, that it is a thing. Be, though. I mean, that would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's nothing I don't love about that, but it's just not how things work currently. I don't think. Um, I, I guess I'm trying to think. There, there was a like like Jason Rohrer who uh, who who has sucked on social media recently, but has done interesting stuff with games. He made like a DS game and like manufactured it himself and packed all the game boxes and cartridges and all that stuff. Like there are exceptions, but they're very rare. Hmm. To your point, that stuff's kind of the norm. That like the the idea that you're touching something that another person's hands touched. The idea that it's almost a one to one conversation, or not one to one, but like you know a person to person to person conversation between the player and the designer. Like that is I. Think think core to what people like about tabletop that it is you know the same thing that can make it scary for people at conventions <laughs> is the thing that makes it appealing in the first place it's like unavoidably irresolvably social you know don't say it like yeah, that yeah. oh my god all the introverts have just like cried <laughs> <laughs> but it's good for us and i say us because that's me by the way um like i i'm, I'm definitely the the person who even even though i've had fun with with tabletop stuff if i'm at pax i like I, I always take like two circuits of like oh should i go sit down i mean i know i want to sit down but like oh should I? you know like there's still that thing in my head as someone who grew up maybe a little bit more on digital games than tabletop like tabletop is not a total blind spot for me but i'm less knowledgeable about it i'm, I'm getting caught up and i know part of it is that i have that introvert's hesitation every time i overcome it i'm super glad i did and i have a great time and i feel like i even like grow as a person if that's not too cheesy but i think <laughs> i think it's unproductive to pretend that's not there you know and like i mean bobby do you consider yourself do you consider yourself an introvert or was that slander that brendo was throwing your way earlier like is that something uh, you yourself have to get over a little bit sometimes oh no no i'm definitely an introvert um yeah i mean i'm an introvert i am terrified of public speaking and yeah, I think that about covers it. Well, thanks um, for doing this podcast where we talk in, <laughs> talk in great well, detail in public about all of your work. Um, this one isn't bad. Uh, we did do, was it two years ago? Uh, we had a, a PAX East panel that we put together. Oh, that's right. And yeah, we were, it was like a, a full a full room. So probably like 100 people and that like very much out of my comfort zone. But um, my my philosophy over the past like 
six, seven, whatever years, like, um, has just been to say yes to anything and everything. Um, like, <laughs> it might sound awful. Like, it might sound like something I don't want to do. It might feel like something I don't want to do. But I'm finding more and more that just saying yes and doing the things, it's it's usually a positive for me. Um, and that's kind of the same thing with like sitting down at the tabletop. Like, it it sounds scary sometimes like it's as an introvert i'm like that's maybe if i just keep walking that's better but um like sitting down playing games like it's always almost always been a positive experience so yay can you hear my clapping clapping <laughs> yay I, you're throwing off Drew's mic now no no. <laughs> no all good all good <laughs> yay oh i love it it makes me so happy yay this is this is this is what I mean about the the boosting of Bobby as well as Bobby's work though, right? Like this is this is clearly like I feel like that's part of it for you and I feel like that's part of what's great about your dynamic. You know, you're you're you you come across I mean it's obvious that you're friends and all of that, but it's also just that like you support each other and appreciate what each other you know, bring to the table. And that's, that's kind of a beautiful thing to see. Cause there are plenty of people who collaborate on good art, but don't enjoy each other's company. <laughs> so someone, <laughs> when you get the whole package, so to speak like that, it's kind of a joyful thing to, to witness and, and be close to, you know? Aw, thanks. Thanks for being part of it, Drew. No, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm a very ancillary part, but yeah. Um, <laughs> but no, seriously, like I, I, um, is that, is that, so a panel is a very interesting situation. I mean, cause like, you know, podcasts are weird. Broadcasting in general of any kind is weird. I don't know if broadcasting is too pretentious or old media word, but like, I guess my point is more than a hundred people will hear this, but you don't have to look at a hundred people while you're talking. So it's less, it feel it feels like less pressure, right? Like, yeah. um, a conference is a very different thing. Um, do you feel like, like there are kinds of, of podcasts or interviews or whatever that you're less comfortable doing? I mean, like, is this is obviously like, I'm, I'm attempting to make this chill. And and if I'm making you deeply uncomfortable, please tell me so we so I can stop doing so. But like, there are a lot of games media things that are a lot more, I guess, aggressive, for lack of a better term, like they, they have like live Twitch chat or something. So it is more like that feeling of being in a room with a whole lot of people, right? Like, do you do you feel like you avoid that kind of stuff? Or is that maybe less of a thing? Because it's not really part of the media circuit and tabletop like is that is that am i thinking more of how video games get marketed than how tabletop games get marketed for us i'd say it's not really something that has been part of our our marketing fair enough yeah yeah we're still pretty small there's some there are some um like video folks who are out there on tabletop but we're pretty much under their radar um but if somebody asked us we would totally do it right bobby <laughs> for sure <laughs> Yeah. Oh, definitely. <laughs> say yes. No, you're, you're drawing a line. Yeah, exactly. That's say yes. That's say yes policy. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm familiar with with like shut up and sit down and, and a few other a few other things. But yeah, it's a much it's it's nichier, I suppose. And that's exactly what's interesting about it. Um, or it's one of the things that's interesting about it. The thing is also just interesting in and of itself. Yeah. DM us, people. Um, DM us. We're, we're available. Just letting you know. Hell yeah. Anybody, anybody listening? Hey, I, I got the scoop, but you can nonetheless <laughs> hear all about the Almost a Game over. So like, do you, last time we spoke, you did say that like, although you're mostly interested or, or maybe exclusively interested in making tabletop games, a lot of your uh, influences or, or inspirations or what have you are digital games. Uh, you just you take more away in a lot of cases from video games, but then you want your, your impulse is to translate that stuff to tabletop. Is that still true? Has that has that shifted a bit for you? Uh, do you still feel like that's more or less the process? Why, Drew? That is a perfect segue. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, we we didn't plan this, ladies, ladies, ladies and gentlemen, and and uh, and those who lie betwixt. Yeah, go for so, it. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard of my game Space Chase, um, but <laughs> uh, one of the uh, one of the kind of the influences of the very early game of that was um, was a game called. Uh, Pipe Mania, although I think it was called Pipe Dream on the Nintendo, and that's where I played it. And it's mm -hmm. it's a game where you like it's very much just a puzzle game, and you have uh, this set of pipe pieces that are either straight turns or crossovers, and you you put them on this map, and you're trying to get from one point, like a starting point, to an end point. And as you're doing that, there's this uh, green ooze or flood or flues or whatever they were calling it um, that slowly starts, like it gives you like a little bit of a head start and then it slowly starts to move down the pipe. And so you're frantically trying to build this pipe with as many crossovers for points and all this stuff until you can get to the end point. 
Um, and that was kind of like the very early parts of Space Chase that were less interesting was you had um, you had straight pieces, you had turns, and you had crossovers, and that was pretty much it. Um, but that was that was definitely like a a starting point in my mind. Yeah, for sure. It is flues for the record, which is flues. Okay. Yeah, not fun to say. Um, <laughs> although apparently the Windows version refers to it simply as goo. I had to look this up to be sure. Anyway, I, I think it depends. Yeah, on the different versions. But yeah, yeah, yeah. And okay, so on the NES it was flues. But yeah, no, I can totally see that. I can see how like the idea of um, of patching a goo pipe. Uh, and the idea of building a path through space, like there's something, you know, similar visually or in terms of interaction about that. But I think your version, you know, both because it ends up with asymmetrical co-op and all that stuff, I can see how you made it your own and, and frankly made it a bit richer. Yeah. And, and I think that's the thing. Like, there's just a lot of a lot of ideas of like, I, I remember really liking that game when I rented it, but it just um, taking that and like, OK, well, what if it was cooperative? So it's not just wait, well, A, what if you can't put the pipes just anywhere? What if they have to go in order? And then what if it's cooperative, so you have to plan out ahead with your next player? And then what if it was more than just straights and turns and that sort of thing? And then what if the each person had their own abilities? And just kind of building it out to be something more. But like the the starting points, uh, I feel like I get just, just that fun little hook. Um, I find that a lot in video games, I think. Yeah, because because especially games of that era really had to come up with a hook. There had to be like a core interaction that was extremely grippy, I guess, in modern parlance. Yep. So yeah, to take to take that and then say, okay, what can I do with that? How can I make it tactile? How can I make it, you know, more, you know, interactive with other people? That makes total sense. But in terms of Bobby, so I know we're like super early in to game three, like that <laughs> super, super early. Um but <laughs> Because of me, really. Because of pandemic. But anyway, uh, <laughs> so wait a minute. Did you just that... did you just admit to the pandemic being like like on you? I don't, I bet that's quite a claim. No, no, <laughs> it's just you know sucking your creative juice. Oh, I understand out. what you mean. Yeah, no, totally, totally. <laughs> no, I, I I do think it's crazy the number of people who figured that like a generational trauma would be the perfect time to get a lot of shit done. Um, that's not always the case, and that's fair enough. I did again did not mean to cut you off. No worries, no worries. Um. But I don't know that the game that we're in the early stages on have any influences from digital games so far. No, I don't think it does. Although I think we're still kind of searching for the mechanics. Mm, that's true. Mm. But, like we have bare bones ideas of the mechanics, but we haven't. Okay. So the core, the core mechanic them. could still come from Wetrix or, or whatever, for all we know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay, okay. Just thinking of the most esoteric puzzle game I could come up with <laughs> off the top of my head. Um, can you say anything about Game 3, or is it is it a little bit too early to, to go there? Uh, I'd say it's probably too early, besides the fact that we're we're really collabing on this one. That's fair. So, so Brenda, um, are you more involved in the design on this one than you were with the previous ones then? Well, that's the hope, is that we're collaborating together, so this will be a game that we make together. Although Bobby will still do all the art, because... I'm mixed media, and that doesn't go well with tabletop. <laughs> hmm. I mean, that's, that's a fascinating idea, but yes, it presents challenges for sure. Um, so, I mean, I don't, I don't want to um, deny you credit where it's due. Your, your, your portion of almost a game, Brenda, has so far been on the marketing PR side, right? Is this your, is this your first time, you know, with with, the, with this matchup? doing the design thing or di or did you contribute besides just like suggestions and all of that? Did you do any like core design on the previous two games? I didn't do core design on the previous games. I think when it came down to playtesting and rules, like the rule books, because we, we love our tile guides and we love our rule books. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're all about it. Uh, <laughs> so that's, They're really good. That, that's where we came into to more of that. So when it came into kind of the product areas, you know, looking on things like boring things like what are the pieces that we need to have on our box you know what's the information what's industry standard what the wording should be um, that's more where I came in versus game mechanic game design um, and then the same thing with you know Bobby and I hashing out uh, what should be in the rule book what shouldn't be in the rule book so on and so forth um, sure. I mean, that's, there's, that's an aspect of, I would almost call that game design. Like if there were a tutorial in a digital game, you would certainly call that game design, right? So like the rule book, 
yeah, it's like an interesting marginal case because it's like it's a piece of marketing material. It's a packed in piece of text, but it is also the game. So so yeah, interesting gray area. But this time there's it's not in the gray. You're working on mechanics and like the stuff that's core to what you would what you would think of as the game itself. Yes. That's awesome. That's really cool. And and also from the very beginning this time, because like before we even had a game, uh we were doing um we were driving down to to unplugged. We've been like it's a six hour drive and we would just talk about <laughs> the type of game it is and what kind of mechanics we want to see and how they would interact and all that. So before there was even a prototype or any idea of what it would be. Although I guess we don't really have a prototype yet. No. That was that was the that was the meeting that we dropped off. <laughs> Understood. Okay, well I won't take you away from that too much longer. Can I can I ask though, Brenda, and again, this is another thing where if you want me to cut this, that's totally cool. But you say that the pandemic is the reason it hasn't moved forward. Is that just like other parts of life getting busy? Is that is that is that personal stuff that you can totally not talk about if you don't want to, or is it just that it's it's a little bit hard to focus on shit right now? Uh, uh. or all of the above. Well, all right. So those of you who know me, this is not a big secret. I'm a committophobe to begin mm. with. Even in normal, regular, happy, wonderful times, I'm a committophobe. So, you know, making meetings and attending them for personal stuff, for business, I'm obviously very good. But for personal things, it makes me nervous. Um, so we were doing, I think, fairly well. What, January, Bobby, is when we were working on this? We were having, we had some good deadlines. We were you know, had a few meetings, um, you know, follow up after the holidays and after PAX Unplugged um, and then PAX East. Uh, but then it just kind of fell off. And for me, I know it's been really hard creatively um, just to stay focused um, and to really put forward any creative energy for anything. I know that my art has not really gone anywhere. Um, my writing hasn't gone anywhere. So game design has not really gone anywhere so i appreciate bobby's patience as i <laughs> try to get my creative mojo back no, that's totally fair bobby have you have you not felt that in the same way has the effect of these very strange times been a bit different on you um no it, it kind of has hit me too like uh when the when we first started having to uh stay home all the time like, I was like, this is great. Like, I have all this free time. Like, I'm going to work on all... I'm going to have so many games done uh, by the time it's time to start hitting up conventions again. Um, and then after, like, maybe two months or so, I definitely started to, like... It It hit me, like, just not, not being able to, to go out or do anything. So, like, although I have some stuff that I've done for games, um, that's, that's, like, I have stuff that's been pushed forward, um i haven't done anything in probably like the last month it's been it's been tough yeah yeah no i've I've certainly found the same it's it's weird I, that same shift of like oh yeah i have all this time to work on stuff and then just the a the time has a way of disappearing because like i i know for like you know older relatives and stuff who i can't go see like they've they've now discovered zoom and like the time you know to your point brenda <laughs> about having meetings for personal stuff it can be like it can be stressful to have a stack of zoom meetings for like you know people of the boomer generation who are going to have trouble getting onto zoom they've mastered zoom now but initially it was tough um but then there's also just like the drain of of how strange times are and i mean like especially you know, especially in the U.S. right now, on top of the pandemic, there's a huge amount of social upheaval. And, you know, we're hopefully on the cusp of really positive change, but it's painful. And like, it's it's I, I, I feel like this is important to talk about because these are sort of privileged problems like to, to, you know, be able to do work at your own pace and just have a hard time doing it. You know, there are a lot of people who are in much direer straits, hmm. but the toll is real. It is like very, very hard to focus right now. And I, I do feel like. It's important to talk about publicly because I hope people can be a little bit patient and kind with themselves if they if they hopefully have the opportunity to do so, you know? No, absolutely. And Bobby and I have talked about this, too. Um, you know, the idea that, again, because we have lots of conversations about these things, the idea that we're OK, you know, from a business side of saying, you know what, this year is kind of not a wash, but this year because conventions are canceled, we are we are lucky in the position that we're in with the company and in our personal lives that we can be like it's okay, it's okay that you know things are delayed. It's okay that we don't do conventions this year because of the way that we've kind of established this company. Um, and Bobby can speak more to that because, but 
we've had this conversation quite a bit that even though it's strange times, it's not something that will um, put the company under or have us decide that this is no longer something we can do. Yeah, because no, that's, that's huge. Yeah, this, I mean, this is kind of, it's a, a fun side thing for us, but it's not a requirement for us to, to live. And, and also we, um, we've, we've bought the games or selling the games, but even if we didn't sell our games, sell games this year, uh, it's not, we don't have to sell them to make money back to make it so that we can live. So it's, it's something that could just take a year off and be okay. Mm. And, and that's a nice position to be in. And I, even, even with like game designers, like not everyone can, they need, they have a successful Kickstarter or they, they've spent money getting ready for a Kickstarter. And if it doesn't go well, then, you know, all that money they've been marketing and promoting is, is just kind of gone. Yeah. 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 yeah because when, when a lot of people plan a Kickstarter, they plan it on how much would, you know, X number of people need to live on for Y amount of time. Mm -hmm. So if any important factor changes in any of those people's lives or in, you know, the production pipeline for some other reason, there can be trouble really quickly. Like it's, it's very, very good to not have to be in that position. I'm glad to hear you're, you're not. Yeah. And even too, at the beginning of this, you know, when there, when many of the issues were out of China, you know, a lot of manufacturing for tabletop is, overseas um and it is mm -hmm. you know in parts of china so even just not knowing for you know a two to four month period um how that was going to affect manufacturing for tabletops games i know that created a lot of uncertainty um around what people were going to do this year you know not knowing about conventions you know a lot of people launch their tabletops just like in in digital they launch their games ahead of big conventions um, like Gen Con that would be normally happening um, later this summer. Um, so it's very interesting. And, and we're also lucky because we're the, in the situation that we're in that we don't feel like we have to add to the noise of, mm. you know, important communication about what's happening um, with the pandemic or with social issues that are happening right now. Um, we can, you know, just kind of sit back and work on, you know, from a game perspective at least, um, sit back, you know, regroup with each other, but not add to the noise that's already out there so people aren't missing critical information. Sure. Yeah, you, you don't feel the need to put out a, a brand statement that, you know, that has the, the Black Lives Matter hashtag but says very little. You feel like you can just, like, engage as people and let let the brand, you know, lie fallow if it needs to, but, it, but it'll still be there when the world finds a new shape. Exactly. Like that's, yeah, Nor do we have to be pushing a Kickstarter, right? So right, we can totally. just kind of keep hang back and let people, you know, hopefully be one less thing that they have to worry about consuming. Well, for those for those who do want something to see them through some aspect of isolation, your games are very good for that. So, you know, they're I, I will say that in that sense. Um if you're if you're in a household with uh you know with with one to five other people, uh Space Chase <laughs> will will pass an afternoon quite pleasantly, I will say. Um so so yeah, I mean I I say that in like a cheeky way because I think it's important to keep in mind that number one, really important stuff is happening in the world. But number two, that doesn't mean the rest of life stops being important, right? Like I think, you know, I've, I've, I've heard from a few people and spoken to a few people who think like it's hard to focus on games specifically because it seems like it doesn't matter as much as some things in the world to design a game right now. I think Toby Fox, who made Undertale, put out a big statement about this not too long ago. Um, but I, you know, I, I tend to think like the world has, like I said, has a chance to get better right now. And so focusing on making it better and also focusing on all of the things that made it beautiful in the first place is how we get through this. So I don't know. I, I think it's important to keep doing what we do, but also to recognize that these are extraordinary and not so easy times. Absolutely well said. <laughs> I was just going to say the same thing. <laughs> well, well, you too, damn it. Um <laughs> So if cool. your family is driving you crazy and you want to be a little cutthroat, 
Wicked Apples. Just take out your aggressions by playing Wicked Apples. (laughs) It is a very safe way to take out that that aggression for sure. It's great for siblings. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I have observed observed this firsthand. It definitely is. Um, And then if you feel like you need a little more, you know, team building in your life, uh, Space Chase. There you go. I hadn't thought of it that way, but yeah, there is like a, a yin and a yang to the, the two games where it's a push and a pull, a cooperation and a, and a competition. It's it's good. It's good. They are a good pairing. Yeah. And that's the difficulty because keep saying like, so for our next game, we have to find one that's uh, cooperative, but cutthroat. How do we do that? <laughs> mm, mm. That could be one of those games where it's like it's cooperative until it isn't like where there's a betrayal yeah. mechanic of some kind or yeah, I don't I don't know. Hmm, hmm, hmm. That's an interesting thought because like that is, you know, that is something um both in the tabletop space and in the digital space people have been trying to do for a while, you know, mm. like um I think of like, sir, you're being hunted in the digital space, a game where you're you have to escape from an island of robots who are hunting you for sport. Yep. Uh, and it's and it's co-op. But then at the end, only one person actually gets off the island. Right. Like there's there's that kind of stuff. So I assume. Game three is about robots hunting people for sport. Confirmed right here, right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Bobby Bobby won't let me theme anything until the mechanics are solid. <laughs> That's an interesting process then, huh? Ha 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 ha. That's super interesting. I yeah, keep trying I'm, to theme things and he's like, no, the mechanics have to be solid first. I'm like, fine. I'm definitely more of a mechanics person. I figure huh. the, game, the game can be anything, but if the mechanics are bad, if the core mechanics are bad, then it's it doesn't matter what you theme it as because it's not going to be fun to play. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. But I guess I got the impression <laughs> that like the idea for Wicked Apples came from, you know, like I think you said it was like if, if all of the villains from Grimm's fairy tales got together and played a game, what would it be, right? Like I think when you said that, I assumed that that was the germ of the idea and at least some of the mechanics came after. But you're saying like the mechanics came first and then that that theme was like, you know, snapped oh, onto it or actually, retrofitted onto you it. you know what? You may have caught me. Shit. <laughs> yes yes true oh i'm talking with my hands again i'm sorry it's quite all right it's quite all right yeah i think uh i think the, the princess bride and then the kind of the the grim's fairy tales are the the two that really like pull those two bride. together that's what yeah. you said yeah the, the wine in front of you yeah yep. for sure for sure yeah. that's it i'm off to theme something <laughs> perfect <laughs> oh no i've broken the collaboration <laughs> oh the delicate balance has shifted i'm sorry um well, thank you both for taking the time, especially in the crazy times that we're in. Um, I appreciate it a whole lot. Um, I'll let people know where they can get your games. Uh, if there are any definitive uh, announcements about Unplugged or anything else between now and when this comes out, I will definitely include info about that as well. Um, but otherwise, just thanks again. Is there any other stuff you want to plug? Individual projects or... or... Uh, I don't think I have anything. Brenda, do you? I have anything right now there's always stuff in the hopper but fair enough well let me know let me know i'm happy to i'm happy to include whatever in the outro um could you would you be willing to send me some like like high quality assets that i could use for like the header and stuff yes definitely cool <laughs> then obviously obviously music the game hath not so i'll find something fun in the public domain and use that but um but but cool <laughs> thank you again um i really really appreciate it and uh yeah sorry again that this took so long to make happen i'm really really glad that it finally did though um like you said time time has been wobbly uh, like we both said uh but yeah this this was good i hope you had as much fun as i did with this oh yeah definitely yeah, thanks so much for having us. We always love talking to you. Oh, of course. And let's let's do it again sometime. The cycle seems to be when a game is out and then a new game is nascent, that's when we talk. So let's plan to let's plan to talk about game three when the time is right. Sounds good. Awesome. Okay. Uh, have a good one. And uh, yeah, take care. Okay. Bye, Drew. And that's the show. You can find all of Almost a Game's games at almostagame.com or on Twitter at almostagame. The Everybody's Talking at Once podcast is hosted and produced by me, Drew Messenger-Michaels, with co-op Eternal from Francis Michelle Lopez and Lucio Valentino. Our logo is by Aaron Perry Zucker using icons from The Noun Project, and you can find this podcast all the places you can find the other podcasts. If you want to support the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash E-T-A-O. A heartfelt thanks to all of our current patrons, and an especially heartfelty thanks to our newest $5 per episode patron, Carlos De Los Santos. If there is a cooler name in creation, I have yet to hear it. The world remains crazy, so do take care of yourselves, do take care of each other, and I will see you in two weeks for another one of these. See you then, everybody.